listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right into today's message from the Word of God. Please open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and beginning at verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 3 beginning at verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write to you, I write so rather, that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Father, I thank you that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Father, we thank you that the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And no creature is hidden from your sight, and all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We thank you, Lord, that the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. We thank you, Lord, that every word of God is pure and you are a shield to those who put their trust in you. We thank you, Lord, that in that you desire truth in the inner part and in the hidden part, you will make us to know wisdom. We thank you for this in Jesus name. Amen. The mystery of godliness. Paul says that this is without controversy, meaning that is that there is no dispute. Great is the mystery of godliness. And then Paul lists the uh, godliness, the mystery. He uncovers and unveils by the Spirit of God, of course, uh, this mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, which we've seen at great, at great length. Justified in the Spirit, which we've seen uh, in, in not as comprehensive as we should, but just enough for us to, to know what being justified in the Spirit is. But then, it's, then he says, seen of angels. Seen of angels. Now just briefly, when we talk about justified in the Spirit, um, this is not saying that Jesus needed to be justified. Um, this, is, this is actually uh, saying, based on the definition that we see here of uh, justified to render or show or regard as just or innocent, free, justify or justifier being right, be righteous. That the Jews killed an innocent man. He was free. He wasn't guilty of any charges. He lived a sinless life. And when he was brought before the Sanhedrin, there was a mock trial that took place, not a mock trial, but a real trial, but it was a trial that was unjust, where he was falsely accused of the things that he said. And so to, to be made innocent, the Spirit of God you know, showed him as one that was innocent, free of the charges. So now we see seen by angels, seen by angels in <laughs> That is that is so powerful. That is that is right. So 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 when we see seen of angels, go to the book of Matthew, chapter twenty-eight. Matthew, the twenty-eighth uh, chapter, because we want to we want to see this scene of angels, don't we? So here in Matthew, chapter uh, twenty-eight, beginning at verse one. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Well, obviously, to know that he is risen only tells us one thing, that they've seen it happen. You, you, you can't. You can't tell others what had happened unless you've seen it. So the angels saw Jesus raised from the dead. He is not here in verse 6, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb where, with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. So here's your scene of angels. So, so now we see preached among the Gentiles. Preached among the Gentiles. Go to Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly... A light shone from around, shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So if you're persecuting God's children, if you're in Christ, you're persecuting Christ. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now notice that Jesus didn't tell him, Repent. Notice that Jesus didn't tell Paul, Say a sinner's prayer. Notice that Jesus didn't tell him to get baptized. All Jesus did was told Paul, Go into the city, and it will be told what you must do. So the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there days without, and he was three days rather, without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so he might receive his sight. Let me point something out to you here. At this point, Paul uh, uh, is, is praying, and he saw in the vision Ananias coming. And then all of a sudden, Ananias is in the picture here. He's not an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. He is just a lay person, a believer. Verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. 
But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. So now we see this thing that Paul was told, probably by the Spirit of God, to write in the book of 1 Timothy, preached among the Gentiles. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Go to the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10 and verse 24. Acts chapter 10 and verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. Now, just in case you don't know who Cornelius is, he was a leader of the Italian regiment. He wasn't a Jew, but definitely a Gentile. So here we see a fulfillment of what Paul had shared in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Preached among the Gentiles. But let me point something else out to you about Cornelius. Cornelius wasn't saved, yet he gave alms to the poor. He helped the Jews, and he prayed every day. He wasn't saved, but you see, you don't know what God is going to do. And who are we to impose certain rules and regulations on how God will work? And when we do, we're found instructing God. And we should never, ever instruct God. Job found that out the hard way because he cried out, and said to the Lord, Lord, I want to have an audience with you in, in, in short order words. There I will tell you all, all of what's in my heart. As to, and, and then I will, you, you will tell me why I'm going through all this. And then in Job 40, God says, okay, Job, here I am. Uh, but are you going to contend with me? Are you going to contend with me and instruct me? And see, that's, that's where we have a problem. We're all the time trying to teach God. When God is God, first and foremost, when we lose respect of God, then we will treat him like an ordinary individual. No respect. And, and, and that's very dangerous. So Cornelius, even though he wasn't saved, yet God heard his prayer. And God sent an angel to him and told Cornelius to go and send for Peter. And Peter was found praying, and there was a canopy that came down from heaven and, and, and had all sorts of foul beasts on it. And, and God said from heaven, rise, Peter, slay and eat. And then Peter said, I haven't eaten anything that was common or unclean. And it happened three times. Because even at this stage of, of Peter's experience with God being born again, he still treated the Gentiles as foul and unclean. So not only was God working on the heart of Cornelius, but he was also working on the heart of Peter. To get him to see that I am bringing the Gentiles in. And you got to remember that Jesus told Peter, told all the apostles that I have sheep that are not of this fold. In book of John chapter 10, I have sheep that are not of this fold that I must bring in. And so there was a lesson of discrimination that, that Jesus was teaching Peter. That you can't be discriminate because I'm bringing them in. And I'm doing this without your permission, so to speak. But he needed to teach Peter uh, by way of vision. 
but also by way of ministering to Cornelius. As Peter was coming, Cornelius met him and fell down, verse 25, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. In other words, uh, 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 Cornelius <laughs> did the wrong thing. I had that happen to me a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching on the street, just preaching the word of God. And this guy walked up and, and he bowed his knee down and started doing all this. And I said, stand up, man. I'm a man just like you. <laughs> I'm not to be worshipped. God is to be worshipped. You know, you do have folk that unfortunately do certain things. And Cornelius, he didn't know how to respond or react. He simply bowed down in front of Peter and worshipped him, which is the wrong thing to do. So in verse 26, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. So that's where I got that from when I told that man to just bow down and start doing all this. Stand up, man. I'm a man just like you. <laughs> and as he talked with him, verse 27, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to him, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one, one of another nation. But God has shown, see, according to the Jews, this is unlawful. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. See, see the lesson here? The lesson Peter, Peter is learning here. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore men to Joppa and call, and call Simon there, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. Uh, a tanner is simply a person, uh, call, it's called a bursa or a hide. In other words, he, he, he was a maker of tents, as we see later on in the book of Acts. He was, he was a tanner by trade. And that's, that's interesting that, that Peter knew how to work and didn't depend upon ministry. Let me say that again. He depended upon work and not on ministry. So he is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So the word as far as the preached on in Gentiles is very clear. Go to the book of Acts chapter 26. You're in the book of Acts. Go to the 26th chapter in verse 12. Acts chapter 26 verse 12. While thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday O king along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. Now, one of the things that we have to understand from reading the book of Acts chapter 9 and the book of Acts chapter 26 is that there are some things that were kept out in the initial story that we now, that is now expounded upon by Paul in the 26th chapter. So don't think that Paul is just adding to this because he wants to add to this. There were things that were withheld at the, at the time, at the initial time, and then fully expounded upon later on. But rise, and see, that's how the, four, the three Gospels works. The, the fourth Gospel is more of a heart-to-heart um, uncovering of the heart of Jesus to John but Matthew Mark and Luke is a synoptic gospels and there are things that are in certain gospels that are not in other gospels and the whole reason is is that we, we would have a well-rounded picture 
of the ministry of Jesus. So don't think that something different happened here or that there's an add-on. No, we're getting a comprehensive view of the ministry of Jesus. But rise, verse 16, and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So when we see preached among the Gentiles, here we see a continuation of this expounding here in the book of Acts chapter 16. And now in verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And now we go into uh, the fifth uh, uh, aspect, believed on in the world, believed on in the world. Go to Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. Here in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, it says, Now now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and, to, and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the, found, since the world began, rather, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith to God alone why uh, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever but notice what Paul says here he is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ so here in the book of Romans because the Romans are Gentiles, the preaching of the Gentiles, the preaching to the Gentiles, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being made. Paul's four missionary journeys tells us how he went thousands of miles to preach the gospel to those who are sinners. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15. And in this confidence, I intend to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. Yes, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 15. And in this confidence, I intend to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I, not, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes, and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us with, with sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth, that not that we have dominion over your faith, but we are fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So, He's believed on in the world. The, the, the preaching of the gospel resulted in the believing of those who received the word. Now go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 
and verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all saints. So see that the preaching of the word resulted in they've heard that, that Paul and, and, and his, his uh, uh, companions heard of their faith in Christ. And not only that, their faith in Christ, but their love for the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of, of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a fellow minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So the word was believed on in the world. Number six, received up in glory. Received up in glory. To be, to be received in, into glory, there must be a resurrection. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 1. There has to be a resurrection in order for an individual to be received up into glory. Look at verse 1 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. There's, there's that uh, preached, believed on in the world again. Or... or, or also, uh, not only believed on in the world, preached among the Gentiles. You see these two things right here in this verse. Therefore, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So to be received up into glory, you have to be raised from the dead. And that he was buried, and that he, was, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this present, but some have fallen asleep or have died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So after the resurrection of Jesus he was seen. And that's what gives us the foundation of Christianity. That's what gives the foundation of what we believe. The other religions, if you want to call them, want to claim that they're equal with Jesus. And they call it coexist. But Jesus doesn't coexist. Jesus exists by himself. He, he is God. And that's what... That's what that is what causes him to stand out above the rest. Because none of them are standing. They're all dead. They're idle gods. Idle gods are dead. So, so that's what stands out with Christianity. And that's why we have so much, at, uh, so much stock in this because of the resurrection of, of Jesus. He was received up into glory. Go to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses or martyrs, if you will, 
you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And by the way, if you wonder why I said martyrs, look up the Greek word of witnesses and you will find in most places in the New Testament, the base word is martyr. In Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, they, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So now this ties in what, what we see, scene of angels, doesn't it? Scene of angels? Well, right here. He was seen of angels as he was rising up into heaven. Verse 10 again, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. And look at verse 50. Luke chapter 24 and verse 50, 5, 0. And when he led them out as far as Bethany, he lift and lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So he was received up into glory. Go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16 and verse 19. So then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now, there is a claim in Islam that Muhammad was taken up into heaven by Jerusalem. Well, why couldn't you use Mecca? Why couldn't you use Medina? You just had to use Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem gives credibility. Because that's the place where our Lord was crucified. But it is also the place where our Lord was raised from the dead. So, in my opinion... Use another place other than Jerusalem, but you want to use Jerusalem for credibility purposes. But, it, but your credibility is blown out of the wisdom as far as Islam is concerned. Because if he's been raised up into, into heaven, taken up into heaven, then why is his body still back on the earth in Mecca? Something to really ask a question about. Why is that? So uh, Islam has no credibility. Whereas Christianity does. So here we see again the resurrection of Jesus. Go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Received up into glory. Well, he was received up into glory, and here we see that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Go now to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Now, a lot of people are confused when they see this, but you have to understand something, that God is God, and the way that they're set up as God, look, if you've got a problem with it, and you're a believer now, if you're a believer and you still have a problem with this, then what you should do is just simply accept on face value what God said in his word because he's, a, he's not a man that he should lie. Just, just accept it as face value, and then 
when you get to heaven, you can sit down and have a long conversation with God about why you, you why is Jesus God and why is the Holy Spirit God? But yet in your word, you said the Lord our God is one. You can have a long conversation about this. Just just know that God sent God the Son to die for our sin, and that God the Holy Spirit, as a result of our repentance and placing faith on Christ, comes in and washes us and regenerates us and and renews us. And that we're new creatures in Christ. And then when you, when you get into heaven, you could ask all the questions that you want about the Trinity. Look in uh, Psalm 110, look at verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord. See, that's the question that people have. The Lord said to my Lord. <laughs> huh? Who's Lord? Which one? Well, it's very simple. The Lord said to my Lord. The Lord God said to the Lord Jesus. It's very simple. Sit at my, and here's, here's what it makes it even more simpler. Sit at my right hand. So where was Jesus raised that was, as we went through a few scriptures? Seated by the right hand of the throne of God. Seated by the right hand of the throne of God. Till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. You have the dew of your youth. So he is seated by the right hand of the throne of majesty. So this is the mystery of godliness. If you go back to uh, first, uh, uh, first Timothy chapter three and verse 16 and without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Uh, seen by angels. Preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. And, and this may be the first... Um, instance that we see um, the, the doctrine of the apostles uh, from, from the Spirit of God given to Paul. So now, go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 2, because here we're going to see another, another saying that is condensed, but it has a, a packs punch. Sayings that is condensed, but packs punch. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, beginning at verse 8. Remember that, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Well, why is he suffering trouble as an evildoer? Well, simply because the Jews hated being accused that they killed Christ. But not only that they were accused of, of killing Christ, but that he was raised from the dead. Indisputable. And that's what you see in the mystery of godliness. The whole, the whole essence of this is that God came in the flesh is an innocent man justified by the spirit seen of angels preached among the Gentiles believed on in the world received it. So in order for you to be received up in the glory, you have to be resurrected from the dead. So Paul suffers as an evildoer because not only does he speaks about Christ, but he also speaks of his resurrection. Even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Praise God forevermore. You see, you can bind people, but you can't bind the word. You can kill people, but you can't kill the word. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. You may be able to take me out, but the gospel will still be preached. It's called redundancy. You could take hundreds of thousands of Christians out. But somebody will get up and preach. So that's why we should never worry about what's going to happen to me. 
if I preach this word? What if they kill me? Well, it's part of the territory. You know, it's part of the territory that they attack and kill Christians. But guess what? It doesn't stop the word of God. It, does, it doesn't change the word of God. It doesn't, it doesn't stop the, the gospel of Jesus Christ from being preached. There, there's a censorship that is going on in terms of trying to shut down free speech, but ultimately what it leads to is the shutting down of the gospel. And then, then the Chinese had, had gotten wind, you know, in terms of how to shut down the Internet. And they found out that the Internet is just too big to shut down. In other words, what the Chinese wanted to do was shut down the current Internet and build their own Internet so that way they can have control over who says what. But even that, even the Internet that we now have is just too big. It can't be taken down because it's just too big. And so even if you were to, were to be able to shut down the Internet, you will still have somebody getting up and preaching the gospel just like normal, just like old times, just like as if nothing really happened. And that's what gets me hard about where, where we are as a body. We're so worried about all of the events that are transpiring before our eyes, but we all know that it is geared towards attempting to silence the believer. It's not just about uh, silencing COVID remedies and the political agendas and things like that and talking truth in that area. No, it's talking about shutting down the gospel. And, and it can't be done. It cannot be done. Someone will get up and preach the gospel. So, so here, Paul is letting everybody know, I suffer as an, e as an evildoer. I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But guess what, y'all? The word of God is not changed. You can put chains on me, but you can't put chains on God. You can put chains on me, but you can't put a chain on the word of God. The word of God is not changed, and that's why chained, and that's why we need to be ready to preach the word, be ready to in, in season and out of season. We need, need to be ready to share the word. And Peter said it, said it like this, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready. What is this salvation that, that you guys talk about so much? What is this? Well, it's simple. You don't have to really go into an elongated one-hour preaching message. Paul put it in a capsule in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Uh, excuse me, 2 and 3. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That Christ was buried and raised from the dead according to the scriptures. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Turn to Christ before it's too late. You must be born again. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to have a long, elongated, prepared, one-hour message. It could be just a few sentences and they'll get it. Just one word and they'll get it. I mean, especially when you start out with repent, they get it. So the word of God is not changed. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. So now we're seeing another, uh, power-packed, short version of, 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 a, of, a, of a profession of faith, if you will, among believers that, that lines up with what we saw in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses, rather, verse 16, excuse me, verse 16. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11, this is the faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. That's powerful. If we die with him, if we die for the cause of Christ, we shall also live with him. A lot of people don't, don't like the word about dying for him. 
because people uh, want to live forever. And, and that's, that's true. We all want to live forever, but we don't want to die a, a very heinous death. We don't, we don't want to, to, to die. And next thing you know, we, uh, our, our life ends, but in the sense that we're supposed to be martyrs, there's always the possibility of someone dying as a result of giving a testimony for Jesus. There's always, there's always that possibility. And that's what we have to understand. We have to understand that, um, that it may happen. It may very well happen. So we have, to, we have to be prepared for that inevitability. We have to be prepared for that moment where uh, it's possible that, uh, that we will die. And so uh, there was this um, missionary that was working in Afghanistan. And uh, he said something that was very, very powerful. I'm trying to find it and, and because I want to say it verbatim. Because if I, if I try to say it another way, it's not going to sound the way that, that it's supposed to. And, and I thought I had put it on, on my uh, Facebook page. And... Uh, I don't know why it's not there. I thought I put it there, and I know I did. Um, you know, it's it's funny how you put something on it and you thought that it's there, and it's there. It is. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. There's a difference between a church service testimony service and martyrdom. But Werner Jean Pierre and Rode, I hope I say pronounce this this right. Please, if I don't, please forgive me. Grow Groenwald, which is spelled G R O E N E W A L D. They were South Africans, and I'm not talking about the the black South Africans. These were, these were white South Africans. Uh, uh, Werner was the father, and uh, Jean Pierre and Rode were his teenage children. They were killed for their faith and witness in Afghanistan in 2014. But one month before their death, Werner said, we only die once, it might as well be for Christ. What a testimony. We only die once, it might as well be for Christ. Jesus said that you shall be witnesses unto me. The word martyr, martyrs is where we get the word witnesses from. Now, some do not grasp the Greek word martyrs. But there's a difference between testifying in a church service and testifying with the ultimate sacrifices, the ultimate sacrifice, the last full measure of true devotion to Christ. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. You see, enduring to the end. He that endures to the end shall be saved. If we endure, we shall reign with him. So here are two things. We shall live with him and we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. I mean, the saddest thing in the world is to finally get up into heaven and you get before the Lord and he brings to your knowledge the fact that you denied him. I mean, just like Peter. Remember when Peter denied the Lord? He denied him thrice and the crow crowed twice. Don't deny him. I can only cringe at the fact that the many times that I denied the Lord. When I should have spoke up and I didn't. I can only cringe at those moments. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But now, now notice what happened with Peter. Peter did deny the Lord. But guess what? He made up for it. He made up for it. He was crucified upside down. For the testimony of Christ in Rome. He made up for it. So if you've denied him in the past. And I have. I'm guilty of it just like anybody else. We can make up for it. It may, it may cost us our life. 
then again, it may not. And we got to be good with the fact that it may cost us our life. But from this point on, I don't deny him. This point on, I don't deny him. I speak up for the, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. In other words, if we lose faith, it's not going to change him. It's not going to change Christ. He remains faithful. Because he can't be faithless. He can't be. So if you happen to lose faith, and, it, and this, is the, this is the wrong time for anybody to lose faith. This is the wrong time to say, you know, I don't believe in him anymore. I don't believe him anymore. I don't believe God anymore. He never came through for me. He left me hanging. Jesus will not remain or remain unfaith unfaithful or be faithless. He remains faithful regardless of what we do. Why? He cannot deny himself. Now just imagine God denying himself. Just imagine God saying, I'm not God. Just imagine that. I'm not God. You know what that would do? Everything would die. Everything would die. Everything, including God the Father, God the Son, God the, God the Holy Spirit. Everything would die if God denies himself. God can't deny himself. He, he's going to be true to himself no matter what anybody else does. He's going to remain faithful, and he cannot deny himself. And then Paul reminds Timothy in verse 14, remind them of these things. Charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearer. Remind them that if we died with him, remind them we shall also live with him. Remind them if we endure, we shall reign with him. Remind them of, of the prize. Remind them of what you will receive as a reward. Remind them of these things. Because sometimes, you know, when, you fall, when you're doing the work of the Lord and things are not working out the way that, you, that are intended, it's very easy to get discouraged. It's very easy to just simply say, you know what, I, I've served them long enough and, and nothing comes of it. I went, I, I went and did this to him and this is, this is the manifestation. This is, this, is, this is my reward. I had enough. No. No, if anything, you, you dig deeper. You, you dig deeper into who you are in Christ, and you dig deeper into what he has put in your heart. Because nothing that we do as far as works in the ministry can ever measure up to what he has done in my heart. I can lose it all, but I can't lose him. I can, I can lose everything, but because he's in me, because he saved me, he washed me and cleansed me and saved me from the wrath of God to come. Look, you can't walk out on him now. You can't walk, out, walk away from him now and, and figure that, well, he, he didn't come through. He didn't do this for me. So what, what am I going to do now? You know what? I'll just go, go back in, in the world and, and do what I, what I thought was right in any, anyway. What, what you was doing was wrong. It wasn't right. You see, and, and, and that's where a lot of believers are. And that's why a whole lot of believers have departed from the faith. Because they forgot what Paul has said. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If, he, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. It's very important that we maintain our, our walk in Christ. It's very important, especially at this hour. Go to Malachi chapter uh, 3. 
we, 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 should never, we should never give up because things are not working out well. We should never give up because things are closing in on us. We should never give in because the world is commanding us to do certain things that they want us to do and that if you just give up, it'll be okay with you. But if you don't, it's going to be worse. Look, your worse is not worse than God's worse. Your worse is not worse than God's worse. Look at verse 13 in Malachi chapter 3. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. Don't get to that point. Don't, just because things are not working out on your behalf, just because things are not lining up the way that you thought it would line up, don't get to that point and, says, and say, it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? Look, if you don't understand it, it is of great, it is of great profit. What's the profit? If we die with him, we shall also live with him. That's profit. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. That's the profit. There's a reward that awaits us. The fleeting thing about sin is that it is an instant rewarder. But it carries a long-term penalty. It rewards you instantly. But it comes with an eternal penalty. It's not worth it. That one moment of sinning against God, it's not worth it. That one moment of doing what you want to do, it's not worth it. That moment of saying, God, it's useless to serve God. It's useless to go to church. It's useless to read the Bible. It's useless, useless, useless. If you ever get that mentality, man, that means that you are about to make the worst mistake you, have, you could ever make. The worst mistake that an individual that was once in Christ to have ever made is to walk out on him and never come back. The penalty is eternal. The penalty is eternal. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the, the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. See, that's Psalm 20, 27 right there. Threat not because of the one that, that prospers in his way. You're looking at the world and they're saying, you're saying, they're more blessed than the righteous. No. I can live in a shack and still be rich in God. I can have a hole in my pocket and still be rich in God. So don't equate having the things of this world as if you're they're rich and you're not. No, hang in there and stay with God. You've been listening to the Prevailing Word Podcast. We're on Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast, Spotify, and Spreaker. The Minister's Crucible and Prevailing Word Live is on YouTube. There's exclusive content for ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ found at theministerscrucible.com. Follow Prevailing Word Ministries Incorporated and The Minister's Crucible on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.